Hey everyone, welcome to a fresh, brand new episode of Show Me the Crypto. This week we chat with Bobby Lee, who is the CEO slash co-founder of Ballet, but also he's just an OG in the space. Bobby's been around Bitcoin since 2011, the last 13 years, and this was a really fun conversation. All for your thoughts? Well, he's an OG in this space. He's been here for so long, since like 2011 or yep. something. So to talk to a guy who's just even been around Bitcoin, been involved for that long is super interesting because he had so many stories to tell. He really dove in from the very beginning, how he got into Bitcoin, how he got into crypto. He started his own exchange in China, China's first yeah. Bitcoin exchange at the time and how everything's developed since then, leading into his second business, Ballet, and what that's all about. It's a really interesting cold storage device for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. We covered a lot, and he's just an interesting guy to talk to. And more than anything, I think he can really explain Bitcoin and crypto in a simple way. That's a big focus for him and Ballet. And he's a great storyteller too. So he was telling some stories about Bitcoin and the history that are super interesting. So for me, it was a great interview for all those reasons. That's one thing I picked up on as well as Bobby's ability to explain somewhat con complex ideas such as the Bitcoin having into really, really simple terms where anyone could understand what that means and using great examples. So this was a fun conversation. Ballet's doing a ton of really cool things. He shows us on camera, if you're watching the video version, some of the physical items that Ballet is producing. You're going to love this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. Show me the crypto! In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there, and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Alf Lonergren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by OG Bitcoin proponent and founder slash CEO of Ballet, Bobby Lee. Born in Ivory Coast, Bobby's early tech career intertwined with IBM, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Dell before he first discovered Bitcoin in early 2011. Later that year, Bobby went on to co-found China's first Bitcoin exchange, BTC China. And today, Bobby is driving global adoption of Bitcoin through his company, Ballet, his book, The Promise of Bitcoin, as well as his role as a member of the Bitcoin Foundation Board of Directors. Bobby, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on your show. Yeah, we're excited to have you on as well. And I want to start off. So beyond all the accolades that I just listed, you are also host of the Bobby Lee Bitcoin podcast. So my first question to you is, what's your preference? Do you like this being the guest on a podcast or do you prefer being the one interviewing somebody else? <laughs> I, you know, I've done a bunch of both. 
And uh, I don't I don't have a strong preference. It's a different it's a different flavor. So obviously, you know, coming onto your show and other people's show, you know, you guys get to talk about your stuff. And on my show, on my own Bitcoin podcast show, uh, Bobby the Bitcoin Show, it's basically it's really for new people coming in to understand Bitcoin, understand uh, the importance of storage, cold storage. Because the last thing you want to do is to really grok and understand Bitcoin and put money in it and only to lose it, you know, after a few years or whatnot. And I've, I've heard tons of these stories where people say, oh, yeah, I bought Bitcoin back in so and so, but when it was worthless. And then now that's worth $52,000, unfortunately, I can't find my private keys or can't find my wallet. I can't access it. And these are really sad stories. So, um, but that, those are people like five, 10 years ago. And I just want to make sure people don't make the same mistakes uh, these days. I love that. And that ties in really well with what Ulf and I try to do as well. I mean, we are not, we're very interested in the space. We're far from experts on the technology and that type of thing, but it's about creating this, this unintimidating content. And one of the coolest parts for us of doing these podcasts is talking to Bitcoin, Bitcoin OGs like yourself, people who have been in the space for so long. So considering that you've been around for 13 years, I mean, I mentioned you, you founded Chinese or China's first Bitcoin exchange. That's right. How, how would you how would you grade how the crypto industry has done over the past 13 years? If you had to give it a letter grade, an A, B, C, D, how would you grade the crypto industry? I think um, as an industry overall, I think there's two ways to look at it. To, to, I'm, I'm a I'm a Bitcoin uh, you know fanatic or Bitcoin maximalist, if you will. I guess not all maximalists are the same, but I'm a I'm a Bitcoin guy, and sort of the crypto industry is certainly the larger industry, right? And it's sort of come around and wrapped around Bitcoin. Um, I think Bitcoin has done amazing. I think I would give Bitcoin an A plus in the, um, in the, uh, in the last 13 years, right? It, you know, like, like um, yeah, and it, at least an A, a solid A if not an A plus. I mean, there were some hiccups a few years ago with the block size wars. And there were, you know, there's always hiccups with regulation and, and the exchange. But those are, those are, that's normal, par for the course. Now, the crypto industry, the whole thing, uh, starting with um, altcoins, right? And then at some point, they were called shitcoins. And then we have ICOs. And then we had IEOs. We had stable coins. We had, we had, um, the, you know, aside from exchanges, we had these uh, lending platforms that went bust. Uh, we had a lot of Ponzi, you know, schemes and a lot of hit and run and uh, rug pulls. Uh, and then we have the NFTs and now the ordinals. So obviously there, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Um, I think on the one hand, a lot of people made money in the crypto, you know, the, the, the so-called non-Bitcoin, but the crypto, crypto industry. Uh, but a lot of people also lost a lot of money. A lot of scams, a lot of uh, money laundering. So with that, I you know it's probably what grade would I give it? I, I you know probably a B at best, B minus. I was even thinking like a C, C plus. I, I it's it's just it's just it's a mixed bag, right? Mm -hmm. Now you know for for ballet, we're trying to serve the whole crypto industry with with really good, safe, reliable cold storage, um, trying to turn the tide and help people 
you know, it's not my prerogative in terms of what they invest in, but at least we can give them a solid solution for how to safe keep it properly and not get hacked. So uh, with with the non Bitcoin type of crypto, you have you have two risks. You're taking the the uh, the risk of of the coin or the investment itself, whether that project that thing's gonna make it big, and whether you sell it at the right time, right? And then secondly, is about the electronic digital hacking, all those risks and the rug pulls and all that. Yeah. And what, so, I mean, obviously a lot's happened. You've just graded these last 13 years between Bitcoin and more the general sort of crypto space. Like you said, it's a mixed bag. A lot's happened. But what in that time has maybe been most surprising to you? You know, what's really been like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't think crypto was going to go that direction. That's a great question. I think about 10 years ago, about 10, 12 years ago is when when the Bitcoin industry really splintered into the crypto industry. I distinctly remember, um, I think around 2013, 2014, you know, when, when we have these altcoins, you know, because prior to 2013, if you will, um, up until, yeah, it, it was Bitcoin. It, it was just Bitcoin, right? It was the crypto industry was the Bitcoin industry. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, the two words are synonymous. Um, and now, you know, fast forward 10 years later, um, some people still think that, by the way, some people still think, right? But I, you know, having been in it very deep, I see, I see the whole crypto industry being very, thriving, booming, but there's a sub-industry, which is like the Bitcoin, Bitcoin stuff. For example, the the, the recent, the, the the Bitcoin ETF approval in, in the US uh, market. Um, so that's that's Bitcoin specific, yet the whole of crypto is getting a, a bump, so to speak. Now that, that you know, that, that's, nothing, that's not bad or anything. It's just that these are Bitcoin specific developments, um, including the, the recent, the the recovery of the prices, right, of the crypto prices, I would say that I would say without hesitation, it's led by Bitcoin, right? As opposed to it's not like, oh, Bitcoin price has gone up to $52,000 because of some other XYZ coin has gone up. I think the other way around, I think Bitcoin's gone up and it's pulled, you know, all the other cryptos up and some more than others, right? So, so, Back to your question about what's surprising is maybe when I first got in in 2011, I got into the Bitcoin industry. I didn't expect to be hanging out in the crypto industry today, so to speak. So that's um, it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not you don't have a choice, right? It's not like oh, I, I don't want this world and and dump all my Bitcoin. Uh, it, it just comes with with the with the industry it comes with the with the game, so to speak. Um, any other surprises? You know, I think what 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 doesn't surprise me is the amount of scams, mm. the amount of fraud, the amount of uh, people trying to get rich, a lot of greed. I think I think there's a, there's been a lot of greed over the last you know 13 years I've seen, and that surprises me a little bit. But then I wake up and I say, oh yeah, that's human nature. So you know, who am I to be surprised by that? 
So on the one hand, it's 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 a it's a little bit shameful from a humanity perspective. There's so much greed, uh, but on the other hand, I guess that's you know that's the human flaw. One of one of the big flaws of humanity, if you will, the greed and the fear and all that. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned the ETF there, uh, and. W- was that surprising to you and how that has played out now? What are your thoughts on on the spot ETF and everything that yeah. transpired? The, the ETF itself, the approval is not surprising to me. In fact, I the book I wrote, The Promise of Bitcoin, that was published in, I think, May of 2021. And in the book, I made 15 predictions. And one of the predictions was about the ETF. And specifically, I wrote in there, uh, it's going to be approved within three years, right? So I think we're right on track. I think, right, you know, having it approved uh, this this past month, last month, um, right came in right on target. So I'm not surprised at all. Um, <clears throat> so I'm very happy. I think it's just the natural course of development. There's a bunch of other predictions in the book, but some of the big ones, the, the high level stuff is, you know, Bitcoin is going to progress. And this is going to take five, 10 years, right? It's going to progress down to become a... a um, global reserve asset class where where nations, nation states. Like the, okay, so in the early days, think about 10, 10 years ago, 13 years ago, it was individuals, these, uh, these geeks, these hackers, these cypherpunks investing in Bitcoin for the libertarian reasons, right? And then you have the individuals coming in. And then only in the last two years, we now have corporations coming in, most famously with MicroStrategy, uh, Tesla and SpaceX all dipped their toes in. Uh, a few other companies, and then we're we're and we're now starting to have countries coming in like El Salvador and so on. But it's it, we're at the we're at the tip a tip 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 of the iceberg. I think you know, give it five ten years, we're going to see nation states coming in and holding Bitcoin in a very proud and transparent way. That's their part of their national reserves, and that's that's what I think is going to happen. Um, so these are very long-term directional stuff. That's why I'm saying like the, the you know, to answer your question about the ETF, that's really, it's, it's really par for the course. It's really expected. Yeah, no surprise at all. What about the impacts that, like does, does the ETF cause any impacts on the overall decentralization of Bitcoin with so many, so much dollars coming into the system? Uh, I, I read somewhere, I, I don't know the specifics around the percentage, but something like over 10% of Bitcoin is now, I don't know if it was owned by BlackRock, but it's, or, or the, the ETFs are taking up that much uh, percentage. Uh, but anyways, what are your overall thoughts on, like, does that change how Bitcoin was meant to be utilized um, or, or no, is that just par for the course? In my opinion, no. And this is a complex topic that a lot of people, mis- in my opinion, misunderstand. Um, Bitcoin is money. It was designed to be money. And a lot of people misunderstand what money is. People people assume money has to be usable and immediately spendable. And what I tell people is, yes, ultimately money has to be usable and spendable in the market, but but the more important function for money is for it to hold value, for money itself to, to have the value that's supposed to have that you exchange your labor into money in the first place. So, so I, I tell people, if you don't mind, I'm gonna go into this little short, short explanation. 
Um, why does society, why does humanity, humanity need money? It's because when we work, whatever job we work, either back several thousand years ago, or whether it's just five, 10, 20 years ago, whether it's my summer job or, or someone's internship or today's full-time 20, you know, day job, right? Why do we get paid in money and not in goods? It's because if we get paid in goods of the company, goods and services of the company you work for, there's no way you can consume all of that. Whether you're working at a Nike shoe factory or, you, or, you make, or, or you're at a chicken egg factory, right? You can't take back all the eggs. There's nothing you can't because eggs will spoil, right? So the reason we have money is because then you can choose to spend it on and buy other things. So not only are you transferring your the, the proceeds of your work and labor into other goods, you also allow it to transit over time. So it's a multi-dimensional. You can you can spend it in other locations, you can spend it for other things, and you can spend it at a later point in time. That's the whole point of money. So good money will allow you to save, keep the savings that you worked hard on and spend it five, 10, 20 years later on your children or on your retirement. That's what money is. And you could at the same time, you could also spend it you know, thousands of miles away if you take a vacation to Japan and buy some sushi with it. Now, the American dollar that you get paid is money. But when you bring that $100 bill to Japan, you can't pay for sushi in Japan with a $100 bill, nor can you pay for your croissants and your steaks in Paris with a $100 bill. You have to exchange it, right? So the fact that the US dollar bill is not spendable in Paris and in Tokyo doesn't mean that the US dollar is not money. And that's why I explain to people, for me, Bitcoin, I've been, you know, been investing, been been following Bitcoin for the last 13 years. Fundamentally, it's money. And it, by the way, it's taken a lot of years for me to come to this, you know, core realization. It's not something I discovered or realized 13 years ago. So, so when you said like, oh, what if, you know, these BlackRock, BlackRock or other ETFs or, or allocate or, or holding 10, 20% of the world's Bitcoin. No, no big deal because there's 80% left. And even if, even if the big guys are holding 80%, right? This is, this is the thing, this thought experiment. Even if they're holding 80% of the world's supply of Bitcoin, the reality is they can never get to 100%. And the reality is that, let's say in this case, there's 20% left. And the rest of us normal people will have allocation of the remaining 20%. Some richer people will have more. Some regular people will have less. And Bitcoin, we know it's only 21 million Bitcoin, but each Bitcoin has 100 million Satoshis. So really there's a lot to go, excuse me, there's a lot to go around, right? So in terms of money, it doesn't, it doesn't make it unusable or, or you know, affect that at all. So that's why people say, oh, for example, I recently bought a Tesla car and, you know, I effectively bought it with Bitcoin even though I did not pay the dealership in Bitcoin. I, it was a regular U.S. bank transfer. Well, but then, well, then Bobby, what do you mean by you paid for your Tesla with Bitcoin? But what happened was I can sell some of the Bitcoins I, I invested early and that become a seller on exchange, OTC platform, whatnot, and that dollar will go into the banking system and I would have to pay the proper taxes in accordance with my tax jurisdiction in the US We pay capital gains tax. And then the proceeds, I can then spend it to buy whether it's a Tesla car or buy this can of Coke, right? So it's all, it's all part of the same thing. It's interesting because you talked about how your... You 
your thoughts around Bitcoin have kind of evolved over the years. But if we go back to 13 years ago, my understanding was that it was your brother, Charlie, who introduced you to the concept. So kind of tra time travel back to that, that conversation, if you will, like, what did that look like when Charlie's telling you that? And was it for you? I mean, you were involved in the tech sector already. Was it an aha moment right away? Or did it take you some time to like, really understand that this was something you were going to be involved with? Yeah, that's great. I'd love to talk about that. Uh, it was 13 years ago, 2011. It was in the springtime. I forgot exactly when, but we had one of those long distance phone calls. I was living in in the, in China, in Shanghai. He was living in the Bay Area. Back in 2011, I had just moved to China for about three, four years. And I was working there in the tech sector. I was working at, um, uh, must have been, let me think, must have been... Um, yeah, I was about to go go join Walmart. I was uh, previous. I was a uh, I was a CTO at SMG Best TV at the time. So when he told me about it, so the the so there there has to be a prelude to this conversation, um, and that will help people make make sense of what's happened. So he and I were both um, early investors in gold, and this is very important. Okay, and 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 the reason behind that is because my fa our father, he's a big gold bug. Right, you've heard the term gold bucks. So he's really investing. He really likes gold. He trades gold for a living, um, uh, for his second career, so to speak. Our grandfather is also a gold bug, and there's a story in my book about how my grandparents fled Shanghai to Hong Kong, carrying gold bars with them, uh, you know, smuggling them into Hong Kong, and that's how they got their life started in Hong Kong. Um, so the reason you have to understand gold is because. Uh, you, you have to understand gold in order to understand the value of Bitcoin. And the reason is because just like gold or just like Bitcoin, gold fundamentally is not usable. Right? People say you can't eat it. You can't do anything with it. It's inert. It's it's one of the noble elements in the periodic table. Then why does it have value? Then you really have to understand. So Charlie and I, in the early 2000s, we lived together in Silicon Valley. We shared an apartment. We invested and bought gold coins together. American eagles, you know, other other collectible gold coins and China panda coins, and we we've had those conversations like what makes gold valuable, and and that's a conversation in into of itself, and we really understood why gold is valuable because it became a form of money. It became the go-to form of money due to its chemical properties, and we're talking about the fact that. It's um it's it's a stable element. It doesn't evaporate. It's 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 a uh, it's also yet quite malleable in terms of human. You could, with the right amount of heat, you could you could turn it into other forms and shapes. And it's because it's a it's an element and not a compound. Gold anywhere on Earth, it's indistinguishable from each other, right? If you if you chop down a tree and get a piece of wood, that's not an element. Wood is a compound. So a, a piece of wood from this tree, from this location, from this country is very different from a piece of wood in another location where there's a grain of sand, a piece of wood, or, or but you see my point, right? Whereas gold is really the same. So you, so, so that makes it really good as a medium of exchange and it's really dense. And what's really good about being dense is that you can't fake density. So think about it. You can make something lighter by putting air pockets in there, but you can't make something heavier by faking it. So, so that's why only lead was used as fool's gold. Lead was heavier and you could paint it gold and then people pass it off as gold. But if you cut, slice it open, then you know it's not gold inside, right? So, so the point is, 
that made it really hard to counterfeit. So like a gold coin of a certain size is really heavy compared to silver, which is much heavier compared to other metals, you know, steel and so on and so forth. So for these reasons, society, gold became the go-to form of money. So Charlie and I had that. And separately, back in the early 2000s when I was working at Yahoo, you know, when I graduated from Stanford, I also, uh, I'm also into like UFOs and aliens. So that's <laughs> the topic. Yes. So I ran this uh, program on a computer, it's like a screensaver called SETI at Home, S-E-T-I, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It's like this crowdsourcing program you'd run on your computer and you do these calculations, help the SETI group see if any of the radio signals or have alien sources. Uh, that, that that whole project may not have gone anywhere, but I ran that on all my computers 24-7 for several years. So that that's like a precursor to mining, right? So so immediately when I heard about Bitcoin and mining, I was, oh yeah, I get it. It's that kind of stuff. So, and then plus we had a computer science background, Charlie and I. And back then we had Napster, you know, peer-to-peer. Um, -peer. We understood peer-to-peer -peer, uh, sharing the technologies, networking. I, when I studied computer science, uh, I, I, um, uh, when I got my master's degree, I focused in the systems. This is uh, networking, graphics, and all really core stuff in computer science. So even though, you know, I didn't contribute or write code to Bitcoin, but really by understanding the core concepts as a computer scientist, it really, it really made sense. So I was um, fortunate with all that background, with the gold, with the SETI at home, with uh, you know computer networking, peer to peer, and also economics. Right? Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm a you know quote unquote I um, I'm good with my finances and economics, so I cared about money and all that. So altogether, Bitcoin was that perfect thing that I really latched onto. Right? So he and I latched onto it. He started mining early. I didn't start mining until much later. Um, and, but I made a commitment to myself that if I ever did a startup, I would do it in Bitcoin. And that was a commitment I made to myself in June of 2011, right? Right. By, by then I had, I had a corporate job at Walmart e-commerce. So it was just, it's almost just a throwaway comment that I would ever do a startup, you know, given that I was an executive at, a, at Walmart. Um, but nonetheless, you know, to within, I guess, within two years, I had the chance uh, to 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 join forces and start create BTC China. So that was a lot of fun. So Bobby, as you mentioned there, within within two years, you start BTC China. So what was that like? Because again, you know that that background helps explain how you kind of grasp this concept so quickly. But it still seems very fast <laughs> to go from discovering Bitcoin to right away being brave enough and having the conviction to launch China's first Bitcoin exchange. So what was that process like? And yeah, I guess that's the question. What gave you the conviction to do it? Yeah, it's a co combination of things. As as in life, a lot of times you, you hear this, um, as we navigate the path of life, uh, and, and, you know, w whether you're moderately successful, or you're very successful, a lot of things happen just, just not planned, right? So... My role at Walmart came to an end in at the in about October of 2012. They they had um, bigger corporate merger plans with the China business, so I left. And the natural thing for me to do at the time, this is at the end of 2012, was for me to look for another tech job, a management job, management job in China, in Shanghai. That's where that's where I was living. Uh, so. 
the the discussion was should I stay in I was trying to stay in Shanghai and look for a tech job, but the, most of the tech manager jobs were in Beijing. Uh, that's where the tech center is in China. And I didn't want to go to Beijing. I was reluctant. I interviewed a few companies. I, I had one opportunity, but I ultimately passed on it and decided that, hey, maybe what I should do is go back to my comment I made, you know, a year and a half ago and maybe maybe do a startup. You know, what, what's, what's what, you know, why not? Do a startup and do it in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin just went through its first halving at the time in November of 2012. So... That's when I started looking into investing in Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin. Um, in 2011, I did some mining, but I didn't really go out and buy Bitcoin using money. Okay, I didn't invest in it in a, in a hardcore way. But by 2000, by the end of 2012, early 13, that's when I started, hey, you know, I'm going to put some money in Bitcoin. And that's when I, look, I was looking to exchanges and all of that. And one plus one together, I said, hey, BTC China is the, Charlie actually mentioned it, look at, look at BTC China. It's the, it's the, it's the biggest exchange in China. Um, it's a website that was started by my two co-founders. And then, so I, just on a whim, I messaged them. I said, hey, I want to meet with you guys and maybe maybe join forces and launch this as a as a really, really big venture-backed startup to, to, to uh, corner the market in China. So I met with them in February of 2013. I, I flew up to Beijing to meet with my two co-founders. And we had a good dinner. We chatted all night, uh, and we 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 came to terms. We said, "Hey, I want to I want to put, put on my hand and uh, volunteer to to be the CEO, to um, to go raise venture funding and really run this company as a startup, uh, and become co-founder and uh, become like a Silicon Valley type of startup." Because back then it was just a website. It was a two man show website, kind of like a lifestyle business, and it was wasn't really like a venture. Uh, startup. So they agreed and uh, they sold me some shares of the company and we we took it to the next level. And we were the first uh, crypto exchange in Asia to get venture funding. We raised, uh, I think it was $5 million back in the spring of 2013. And uh, I became CEO, co-founder. And that year we, we built up the product and the platform and Got in a lot, lot of new users, and that year was the key year for BTC China, 2013. For the rest of that year, our volumes were higher and higher. More and more people came over. We were the we were the first exchange running in China. That website's been running since June of 2011, and uh, we upgraded the technology and a lot of stuff. And then by the end of 2013, we knew that we, you know, if you if you guys follow the prices, that was the first real bull market. That's when Bitcoin crossed over a thousand US dollars, and that's when we also had became the world's largest exchange by trading volume. That's when we eclipsed MT Gox. Uh, so what we didn't know, we, what we found out later in hindsight was MT Gox was having trouble all of 2013. Uh, with their Willy Bond and all that stuff. And that's why, that's why MT Gox crashed and went bankrupt in 2014 in early, I think it was January, February. Uh, but nonetheless, um, that's what put us on the map. BTC China being the world's largest exchange at the end of 2013 for the first bull market. And that was fueled by, uh, I would, I would say that was fueled by the, the, the demand in China, the trading volumes and all that. So it was, it was huge. Yeah. And it's our understanding that. Crypto trading and mining has been banned in China since 2021. It 
what is the current state of crypto in China? And like, what is, you know, what's the general consensus or how do people in China feel about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Yeah, great question. So, so the media has always said, oh, China has banned Bitcoin. And then that narrative has repeated itself over the years, right? Mm. So the first time China that, that came out was actually in December of 2013 when China banned Bitcoin and then the, the, the price fell and all that stuff. Um, so the, so I've been in China all this time, you know, witnessing all these bans and these different regulatory moves by by these uh, regulate, regulatory, regulators in China. And you're right. Bitcoin and crypto mining and trading has been banned since 2021. Um, but it's pretty much been that way for, for, for years, right? So these days, so... The way China works is China is not a is not a democracy. So it, it's an autocracy. It's it's a it's it's um it has a rubber stamp parliament, right? We we sort of know that, and so the laws in China are passed by the parliament, right? By the net. I, I don't know what they call it, but this big body of lawmakers, and then they raise their hand like, "Oh yes, we all agree." We pass this law, um, but in the law in the law books, cryptocurrency is not mentioned. There, there's no specific ban on mining or in in um, in the trading of cryptocurrency. Now there are there are laws about uh, exchange platforms. You have to be a licensed exchange platform to to offer exchange services, right? Um, so so that's how they sort of classify. Oh, you're you know. Therefore, if you if you're running a platform that's providing money exchanging, you know, for for this thing called cryptocurrency, well, you don't have a license to be an exchange, so so you can't. So for a long time, we were calling ourselves a trading platform as opposed to an exchange. So in Chinese wording, these two are different. So we sort of got away with it by calling ourselves a trading platform and not as an exchange because we don't have an exchange license. Okay, now, but but what's happening in in China over the years is the, the government people, they they get it. They know it's Bitcoin trading. They know it's crypto trading. They know it's mining. They know these mining operations take up a lot of electricity and blah, blah, and they don't want to see it. And the reason behind it is simply because crypto is economic freedom. It's freedom of money, right? If you look at Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, allowing it's decentralized, people have their own private keys, wallets, they generate their own private keys. They can... They can send, receive without regards to to controls and limits, right? That's the whole point of cryptocurrency, right? So that is economic and monetary freedom. And this is counter to how the Chinese government runs the country, which is a lot of control, a lot of brute force, a lot of through through power and, and control, right? So fundamentally, it's incompatible. I did not see it in 2013. And in, in hindsight, I thankfully did not see it. Because if I if I made that connection, I would have not done it. I was like, oh, this is this is a dead end. Like Bitcoin will never take off in China because it's fundamentally incompatible with the communist government's style, right? So, but but anyways, I was naive and I got into it and you know, and then I, I benefit from it financially and all that. Um, and through experience and all that. But my point is that. 
because Bitcoin and crypto is fundamentally incompatible with a communist authoritarian government. And by the way, if you look at the world, it's no, it's no surprise. The countries that allow for crypto and Bitcoin are mostly democratic countries. And the countries that sort of don't like it are mostly authoritarian, right? And I'm talking about the country level. So whether it's Russia, whether it's, um, I don't know, I don't want to name other countries, but you get my point. So, um, so what they do in China is they just, they, they enforce it through the local level, right? The national, so the law, the law doesn't say anything about Bitcoin for sure, nor about cryptocurrency, but they, but through enforcement, through the regulators, they just discourage it. They, they don't allow banks to transact. If a bank finds out this transaction is related to cryptocurrency, they'll freeze your account hmm. and it'll be stuck in purgatory for 90 days or six months or longer. And and people have made those mistakes and and they know not to do it. Uh, so you can't, and, and companies are not allowed to hold Bitcoin or cryptocurrency on their balance sheet. So th they can't buy, like, like MicroStrategy can buy Bitcoin, Tesla can buy Bitcoin, but companies in China cannot. Um, and they, then people, and then w for, for trade vendor payments, you cannot settle payments in Bitcoin either. So a lot of these rules are put in place. And so now it's effectively underground. So are, is there mining in, in Bitcoin and crypto? Yes, there still is. That's my understanding, but none of my immediate friends and family are doing it. It's more remote people, you know, who have quote unquote good government connections that are doing it secretly in underground places, you know, have using electricity and so on and so forth. Um, and then is there trading of Bitcoin also? Yes, there is underground, you know, people buying, selling either large amounts or small amounts, but it's all very hush hush. And it's certainly not in the open back, you know, compared to back in the five, 10 years ago. Yeah. So if we look back at this, you know, this 13 year timeline, we've talked about the early introductions, you learning about it. We've talked about BTC China. And then if we move down the timeline, you created Ballet. So so really simply, what is Ballet? Why did you create it? Yeah, Ballet. Ballet is the company I'm running now. It's my second startup. It's in a crypto startup. We, our, our key product is this thing. It's, it's a card. It's a metal card. This happens to be gold-plated. We have a version that is... Um, that is a standard stainless steel. Mm. And it's got the Bitcoin logo, you know, but we have other logos, we could do other. But essentially it's a cold storage device. So it, it's, well, first of all, you know, you feel it's cold, right? It's metal. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's also non-electronic. That's a very key point. So this card, it's the size and the shape and the thickness of a credit card, but it's made of metal. So it's very, it's very, it's very hefty. And this one is actually 24 karat gold plated. So if you put this in your wallet, uh, this is probably the only true gold card you have because a lot of credit cards, gold cards, they're not gold. They're just plastic with a gold, goldish color. But this one actually has 24 karat gold on it. Now it's not solid gold, otherwise it'd be too expensive. Um, but you know, you'll notice a sticker on here and a scratch off on the bottom. And this is the ballet technology that allows uh, us to offer a very easy, ready-to-use cold storage solution. So when you buy this from, from Ballet, Ballet.com or Amazon, uh, allows you to immediately store funds on here. We support over a thousand different types of cryptocurrencies and NFTs. So of course, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, XRP, Dogecoin, all these other coins and NFTs, you know, Bored Apes and, you know, CryptoPunks, whatnot. And even support ordinals, okay, Bitcoin ordinals, uh, on-chain monkey, whatever you want. Uh, you can put it on this card 
And this card has it, the digital credentials to unlock and generate your private key. Um, but there's no need for backup because this is ready to go. And, th- and that's one of the key innovations. We, I've, I've been in the industry for so long. Uh, we know about the, the, the standard way is for people to buy a cold storage wallet and generate their private key uh, phrases, these 24 words or 12 words, and they have to back it up and then they have to you know, do all these things, uh, maintenance, software, firmware upgrades. So in my experience, for normal people who are not as technically savvy, there's a good chance they're gonna screw it up. There's a good chance that you're gonna mismanage their seed phrases. There's a good chance they're gonna forget you know, the past phrases or passwords they've assigned to it and they get locked out, right? Especially when talking about in the frame of years, right? It's not something you just keep for a few weeks, right? So if you're, if you're investing, if you're, the keywords you're investing, if you're investing in crypto, whether it's Bitcoin or all, all these other coins, or even NFTs, right? Ordinals or whatnot, inscriptions. If you're investing in it, you want to hold it for a time frame of years, then um, for normal people, this is, in my opinion, humble opinion, this is the best product you could use to store these things. And you could put you could put Bitcoin on here, then you could also give it away as a gift to your children, to your parents, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatnot. Uh, and it's, it's a bare asset. And because like, like I told you about gold, uh, you know, bare assets are basically things in this world where the value is in the physical good. There's no name assigned to it. So whether it's gold, diamonds, cash, even a bottle of red wine, that's a bare asset, uh, as opposed to a title asset are things where your name is assigned to it, kind of like a bank account, a brokerage account, or even an airline ticket. Uh, movie tickets are still bare assets. You go, go, buy, go buy a movie ticket and you could give it to someone else to go watch a movie if you can't make it. Um, but an airline ticket, if you buy an airline ticket, it's in your name, you can't just say, oh, I, I sorry, I can't make this flight. I'll let my brother go fly for me instead. You can't do that. Right. So bare assets is where you retain control. So Bitcoin is, in fact, a digital bearer asset. And what we've done is we've allowed ballet's technology. We allow people to put digital bearer assets onto this physical card and turn it into a physical bearer asset where it's really easy to manage and safe keep. So with 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 something like ballet, whether it's your mother or mother-in-law or, or parents or grandparents, once you put the Bitcoin on here and the crypto on here, and it can hold all types of cryptos on here simultaneously, okay? It's not just one. Um, as long as you don't lose this card, you will not get hacked. That's the that's a promise we make as a company. We think it's it's amazingly easy to use. And recently, we came up with this coin. Uh, I'll show it on camera. Um, so basically, we made a physical Bitcoin. By the way, we're not the first to invent this. Uh, a guy named Mike Caldwell created the first physical Bitcoin uh, called Cassatius coin back in 2011, 12, 13. Uh, this is a copper coin so and cool. it's, it's 39 millimeters made of copper and it's got the same ballet technology on the back. Um, and this is a loaded coin with zero point, it's called one million Bitcoin loaded with 0.001 Bitcoin. So today with Bitcoin at $52,000, this coin has $52 worth of Bitcoin in it. And we sell this for about 80, 85, I think, on our website, ballet.com. And um, with, uh, th- with the coin, sorry, sorry, it comes with that when you buy it. Can you yeah. then, you can use it now as a 
wallet that you could add more to or you could spend from kind of thing? Well, so we don't call this a wallet. A few things. Um, great, great, great question. So this coin is the first product we're, sold, we're selling that's loaded with actual cryptocurrency. This is the first of the coins. So it's a Bitcoin and this first kind. So it's the denomination is fixed at one mil of Bitcoin, 0.001 BTC. So when you buy this, you buy one or buy 10. When, when it ships you in the mail, it will already have 0.001 Bitcoin in it. So some people buy a 10 or 20 at a time. And they, they, they either as an investment or they give it out for Valentine's or whatnot or, or, or Christmas gifts. Um, so it's loaded and it's it's really easy. Fundamentally, the, people love this, right? Because the, for some reason, the shape of it, you know, if I put 0.001 Bitcoin on here, for some reason, people prefer this version as opposed to the card version. Okay. Yeah. So, well, that's fine. So we, we we have a QR code on here and all that. You scan it with our app. You can check the balance. You can also scan it with a phone and you could, there's a webpage that show you how much is on here. We we don't encourage you to load more BTC on there. And the reason is that the denomination says one bill of Bitcoin. In theory, if you really get technical, you could put like a full Bitcoin on here. You could put half a Bitcoin on here. But then the, the problem is then you might personally make a mistake. You think it's only 0.001, but when it has half a Bitcoin, you might misplace it and stuff like that. But this way, at least you see it, you know how much it is, then you're not going to get confused, okay? Now, so therefore, this is not a wallet. We call it just a cold storage of coin. You put the coin, and then later, whether it's next week or next year or in 10 years, you you use the app, you peel the sticker, and then you can use tech, the 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 the, the it's it's called it's a bit 38 open standard, by the way. So this is not a proprietary ballet thing. So if ballet goes out of business tomorrow, this coin and this card, all the assets on here will be retrievable by you without using any ballet technology in the years to come. Mm-hmm. So I when I started ballet, that was very important to me because I know that not all companies succeed. You know, we even though we want to try our best to be a very successful company, but one day we might fail and go bankrupt and, and be out of business. But I don't want any of my customers to lose any of their money. So we purposely made it an open, we purposely used an open standard, the BIP38 standard, which has been around for over 10 years, by the way. So uh so a few years from now, you peel the you can use the tech the code in here and you can extract the Bitcoin, you send it to an exchange like Coinbase or Kraken or Bitstamp. And you can sell it for cash or you can even send it to a friend or you could just give this coin to a collector and then they might give you cash for it, as an example. And with the card, we also don't call it a wallet. And the reason is that when we launched five years ago, we, we mistakenly called ourselves a wallet. That got a lot of pushback. But the point is, it's really a cold storage card. It's really for people to put their assets on here meant for long-term investment. And long could mean six months for you, could mean six years for someone else. So it's really whatever you think is a long-term investment, okay? Uh, the reason is because if you want to move things off, you have to peel off the sticker, and the sticker has a temper evident logo on it and all that. So once you peel it off, you're exposing the digital information. And in theory, people can take a photo of it. But right now, if you take a photo of it, you can't get access to it. Like you could take a photo of this, you cannot steal this coin. By the way, I loaded... I had two of these cards. Uh, go to this website called takebobbiesbitcoin.com. <laughs> Essentially, I had these ballet cards loaded with one Bitcoin each. Now it's $52,000, right? And essentially, I peeled off. You, can, you basically can't hack it. You can't hack it. The point is that you can take a photo of it. You, there's two pieces of information. There's one underneath the sticker, and there's another information underneath the scratch off. You need both to be able to steal the funds. If you have one of 
of the two, you'll, ne- you'll never get the money. And that's what the website does. Um, so it's really safe and allows regular people to store their stuff. So it's not it's not meant for day-to-day use in and out. If you right. want to do a day-to-day use, you're probably better served downloading a crypto wallet on your phone, like a mobile app. Um, but the downside with that is if you lose your phone, if your phone gets hacked, then the monies are gone, right? Whereas with this, you, you download our companion app called Bally Crypto. The app will scan the card and tell you how much is on there, but the app will never have the credentials to steal your money. So if you even if you give the phone to someone else, they see you have $10,000 worth of crypto on these cards, they can never get to that money unless they have a card itself. Gotcha. So it's a different model. And yeah, I mean, it's super interesting, right? It is a different model. It's not what you normally see in the space. And I think there's a lot of upsides to what you've created. I think the coin itself, that version, I mean, I, I can totally understand what you say, what you mean when you say some people just sort of gravitate towards that because I see it and I'm like, man, I could, I could purchase that and gift it to someone. I love the gifting aspect because for my, like my parents or you know, my friends who are not as into the space to be able to give them something physical, but where a card is abstract, it's like, okay, how do I use this card? Exactly. A coin is a coin. People just associate it with, and it's already got a value on it. They just, I feel like it will click so much easier. So I, I love that about yeah. that concept. Yeah, this is our best selling product so far. This is, it's, it's done really well. So I'm going to send you guys one each. And yeah, um, I love you guys that. can Thank hang you. out. Yeah. Um, but I did want to ask about the card because it is a unique concept. Security is so important in this space. When it comes to cold storage in general, that's sort of the, you know, that's the reason for cold storage. Now, in your case, there's these upsides, which is the the ease of use and the, it, it's physical and it's it's offline and it just is there and works. But I'm still wrapping my head around from a security standpoint, because if you, you don't need the, as I understand it, you don't need the, to memorize this passphrase and things like that. You don't need this pass key. It's all baked in. Is the only sort of security flaw, if you will, that the where it could get stolen is losing the card? Like you just have to protect that at all costs. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So the way it works is, let me take a step back to get a little bit technical, explain this. Um, we've been doing this for the last five years. There, there, there is a part of the industry, some, some of the geeks hate our product, but I, I, but I think our product is great for 99% of the people. Um, the, the 99%, the non-geeks, the non-nerds, okay? And the way it works is, if you think about digital currency, wallets, addresses where you receive crypto, where the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then you send it out. Fundamentally comes down to something called cryptography. Um, Basically, cryptography is a branch of mathematics that allows, you know, basically Bitcoin and crypto is built on the concept of cryptography addresses, you know, on the blockchain and so on. So each address is essentially a locker, like a cubby box a locker box, right? At, you know, whether it's airports or gym, you, you have a locker, row of lockers. You have that locker number. The locker number that's on the outside is your locker number and people can put money into the locker by sending crypto to it. Now, why is that your, why is that your locker? It's because you are the only person in the world in theory who has a combination to unlock that locker box. 
So with a crypto address, Bitcoin address, anyone can send to it, but only one person who has a private key can retrieve from it. Okay, so the private key is generated by the by quote unquote by the user um, out of out of a huge huge range of possibilities. So it's not like there's only 128 lockers or 256 or 1,000. There's a gazillion. There's a hundred hundred gazillion combinations, and you pick one, and that's your locker, and then it has a corresponding public address, and that's the one you tell people to send money to. And with your private key, you can then take money out. So obviously we use that same concept, but what we do differently is we pre-generate the public address for you so that you don't need to do any work. So the QR code on this card is a Bitcoin deposit address. Even on this podcast, by showing this in the camera, people all over the world, whether today or next month or next year, can send Bitcoin to this card and then I will receive it. But by showing this card, no one can take it out except for me because I'm the person here having physical possession of this. Later, if I, if I give this to my mother or give it to my children or send it in the mail to you, then whoever has that card can do it. And the way it works is you, you to, to move the money off of it, you peel the sticker and underneath this silver sticker, there's a yellow piece of sticker on underneath it that has a different QR code. That's part A. And then underneath this scratch off, it says verified wallet pass rate scratch off. And it's, a, it's like a lottery scratch off. Use a coin, you scratch it off. There's a bunch of letters and numbers underneath it. And that's part B. So with part A and part B, using the open standard BIP38 cryptography standard, you mix it up and you generate the private key that unlocks this locker box. Okay, and this is the BIP38 standard. What's amazing here is no one in the world actually knows a private key. Some people assume that, oh, Ballet made this product. Ballet knows a private key. No, Ballet does not. These two parts, A and B, are made in different countries using different offline crypto uh, gen entropy generating equipment. Huh. So it's entropy. Entropy is like random number. It's like rolling a dice, okay? You roll a bunch of dice to generate this part. You roll a bunch of dice to generate that part. So the two dice rolls are, are done in two different countries, separate teams, and then they come together on this card. And the when it comes to on this card, it's on this one card, but the the you know, no one gets to see both sides, right? The point is only you, when you peel the sticker off and uh, scratch this off, you can then get both parts and then you use a software app. You can use your own software or you can use the Bally mobile app. You, you put it together, you generate the private key for the first time. And once you have the private key, then you can get access to whatever coins, whether it's like Litecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Ordinals, or NFTs, they can move it out to somewhere else. So that's why we call it cold storage device. It's very safe. In the last five years, we have never been hacked. Okay. So as long as you didn't lose a card, you will still have it. It's great for estate planning. So if you, for older people who are worried about, you know, one day if they pass away, how will they transfer their crypto to their children and grandchildren? This is the perfect way because there's no passwords. Remember, you never want to take crypto to the grave with you. There's so many examples of people who are super secure. They have these long passwords in their mind and they get hit, hit, hit by a bus or they have cancer and they die. And then their crypto just dies with them because they can't pass it on to their children and grandchildren. With ballet, this this never happens. So as long as you have that card, you have the, the stuff. And and recently we announced that globally now, now ballet, all of ballet's cards on the blockchain, because we see it on the blockchain, there's now over $500 million worth of assets on all the ballet products. So that's a half a billion dollars. That's a huge, huge accomplishment. And just in, in just in five years, in less than five years, we now have $500 million worth of assets on 
on value products. So a lot of, a lot of people are trusting it. Our next milestone is 1 billion and then we're off to the races. I think you hit the the nail on the head, Bobby, with the the 99% comment because you're right, right? And there's always going to be those arguments of like, what makes Bitcoin so great? And the fact of the decentralization, you have full security, full ownership, but let's be real. There's a reason adoption has taken a long time because when I try to explain to my parents or even many of my friends who are the same age as me, yeah, just memorize the seed phrase, don't lose it, don't tell anyone it, never let anyone, you know, already it's like, whoa, there's too much friction here. And that's the reality for a lot of people. And perhaps we, you know, the technology advances, it gets simpler and still a secure way in the future. I think that's totally going to happen. It needs to. But a product like this, I think for most people, sure, you have the risk of of losing the physical object. However, I think it makes a lot more sense for what people are used to. So yeah, I, not so much a question there, just I, I think more that, yeah. that you are on the right track there. Yeah, absolutely. One, one more comment is, what I tell people is, what, what people hate and these normal people, what they hate is to lose the digital assets when they haven't done anything wrong. Mm. And that's called being hacked, okay? On the other hand, if they put $100 or $1,000 on this card and they put it in their lock or safe or somewhere and then it gets stolen or they lose it, they misplace it doing a house move. Well, at that time, if they lose that crypto, well, it's on you. Mm. And they they take ownership of it. They own it. They own up to it. They won't blame anyone else. But what, what people hate is when they get hacked, they're like, hey, what happened? I didn't do anything wrong, but that software has a bug in it and it got hacked. And that that's that's what's really frustrating. Yeah. So we're really. preventing that class of mistakes and errors. So I'm really proud. Over the last five years, we've never had any hacks. People have never complained about having lost any coins. Um, and I think, I think it's going to continue. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool product. Shifting gears a little bit here, Bobby, I want to talk about an event we have coming up later this year, which is the Bitcoin halving. You mentioned oh. that this has happened a few times. So really, really quickly to start maybe for our audience who are the newer people who aren't as familiar, what is the Bitcoin halving and and what's your kind of predictions of how this will impact on this year? This is amazing. The Bitcoin halving is uh, is great. Um, it's, it's, it's a festival. <laughs> um, it's not later this year. It's actually coming up in 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 around two months in April. That's right, April. Yes, April. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So 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 soon enough. So what it is is we know it as a Bitcoin having event, and it's the uh, what is it the fourth time? So we had it. The first one was in November twelve of two thousand twelve. The second was in I think is it in um, April of two thousand. Oh, look at these balloons. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 awesome. this is the Apple. Uh, this is the uh, the the video. Technology. It is a celebration. Yeah. It is a festival. Yeah. Balloons <laughs> are on the screen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, yes, the celebration. All right, <laughs> some fireworks. All right. <laughs> okay, so the, it was November of 2012, and the second was in uh, 2016. I think it was um, uh, July 2016. Oh, sorry, it was May 2016. The, the third one, April, May, and then it was 2020, and now it's 2024. So this is the fourth halving event. So the way it works is that Bitcoin, when it was created 15 years ago, the inventor, Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, there's a lot of stories about who that person is and whatnot. Um, he purposely created Bitcoin with a fixed amount of Bitcoin in circulation. He purposely wanted Bitcoin to only have 
21 million. Now, the actual number doesn't matter. It could have been 42 million. It could have been 84 million. But he picked 21 million for what, whatever reasons. And what's important is that the number is going to stay 21 million. That's what's the important thing. Okay. Now, at the time, he could have done a few things. And this is, this is very important for the having to explain the story. He could have given himself all 21 million Bitcoins and for himself to decide who to, to give it out to other people. He could have done that. That would have been horrible. If that happened, Bitcoin would not be where it is today. And the reason is it would be centralized. He would be the king and people would not want to take Bitcoins from him and some will get more, some will get less. His friends and family might get more and so on. It would not be fair. And it would die on the, it would just die. It would just not be popular. So the question is, he, it's an important question. How do you make sure the world will have 21 million Bitcoins distributed all over the world in a fair way that does not involve Satoshi himself deciding who to give out? So what he did was create a lottery system. He said, hey, we'll just create a lottery. Anyone who wants to come can get a free lottery ticket. And the lottery ticket will give you a chance to win some Bitcoins. And that's what happened. And this is what we call the block reward. So the lottery was set at every 10 minute interval, roughly every 10 minutes, there's a lottery prize of 50 Bitcoins. And for the first few days, he was the only one picking up the lottery ticket. So he won all the Bitcoins, all the 50 Bitcoins each 10 minutes. So at the time it was 7,200 Bitcoins per day. So he got a few thousands, tens of thousands of Bitcoins that way which is okay for a few days, okay? In the end, there's gonna be 21 million. And then he got more people involved. One of the first people, famous person was Hal Finney. So he came in and he started mining. He got lottery tickets. So they, they had 50-50 chance and so on. So the point is each day, there's 7,200 Bitcoins that came into circulation every single day, okay? And that's how over the course of several years, you get a 21 million. But he didn't want all the Bitcoins to stop giving out after eight years. Right, so if you do the math on your calculator, if you do 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes and you sit, you have 60 minutes in a day, sorry, in an hour and however many hours in a day, you come up with 7,200 Bitcoins per day. And you multiply that by how many days in the year, you do it for eight years, that's 21 million Bitcoins. Okay, that's math. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to spread this out over longer. So what he did was he said, okay, we'll do 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes for the first four years. For the next four years, we're gonna reduce it by half. We'll only do 25 Bitcoins. And that's what happened. So every four years, the lottery price goes down by half. So it started at 50 Bitcoins for the price, then it became 25 Bitcoins starting in 2012. And then in 2016, it went to 12 and a half Bitcoins. And then in 2020, it went to 6.25 Bitcoins for the price. And in April, in two months, we're going to see the price go down by half again. It's going to only be 3.125 Bitcoins for the lottery prize in April. Okay, so this is the fourth halving. And what that means also is cumulatively throughout the last 15 years, 15 years is a long time. That's been, there's been a lot of lottery prizes coming out. There's been over eight, eight, 840,000 lottery prizes that will go out by then. And Essentially, about 20 million Bitcoins have already come into circulation. So the remaining 1 million Bitcoin will take another 100 years because it's going to price and go lower and lower and lower. At some point, it's going to only be 0.0002 Bitcoins per, per price. And that's going to taper down. 
And why is this important? It shows that it's working. It shows that the Bitcoin plan, the 21 million is really going to be honored, that we're going to really going to see a maximum of 21 million, even though we may not be alive by then because it's going to be 100 years later, okay? And secondly, it shows that the supply is really, really coming down to a, to a very, very small limit. That's why it's going to be supply squeeze. That's why prices tend to go up around and after the Bitcoin halving. Okay, just, just to refresh people's memory, the first halving was November 2012, and we had a Bitcoin bull run in April of 2013 and a big run again in December of 2013, six months to a year later, okay? And the second halving happened in, I think it was April of 2016, okay? And then the bull run happened at the end of 16 and, and also Dece December of 2017. The third halving happened in, I think it was, um, uh, yeah, it was for, May twenty twenty maybe. Yeah, May two thousand twenty. Yeah, May two thousand twenty. Yeah, sorry, the the it was uh it was Ju July of two thousand sixteen. Now it was May two thousand twenty. Yeah, not April. So May two thousand twenty. That was the third halving, and then the bull run happened subsequently in year two thousand twenty one, and it peaked out in November of two thousand twenty one. So now the fourth halving is going to happen in April of 2024. And that's where we've seen prices go up, right? Prices were at, you know, under $20,000 last year. And now they're at $52,000. It's a, it's a, it's a one-year high. And the all-time high is $69,000. So we're within striking distance of the all-time high. And I personally think this bull market run that's going to be sort of, sort of related to the block halving, I think the bull market run will happen and will, will start late this year and going to next year, maybe 2025. Uh, I just just a personal thought. I, there's no there's no evidence that it will it will be that way or whatnot. So this is not investment advice. But um, I think it will easily will for sure. I think it will go past sixty nine thousand. It could easily go to hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. And the way I tell you that this is simple. Today, finally, again, Bitcoin. The whole value of Bitcoin, the market cap, the circulation value, has now reached. $1 trillion, $1 trillion. Now, $1 trillion is a lot of money for any one person. But if you look at something at, at a global nature, right, $1 trillion is nothing. You have companies that are worth trillions of dollars. You have, you have nations that have trillions and trillions of dollars. You have, you have whole asset classes that are hundreds of trillions of dollars. So my point is for Bitcoin to go from $1 trillion to $5 trillion, it could happen in a, in a flash of an eye. Mm. So what happens? So if Bitcoin goes from one trillion to five trillion, what's the price? The price is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per Bitcoin, which means this coin will be worth two hundred and fifty dollars. That's all it means. Yeah, Bobby, so interesting. You you have a great way of being able to explain these. You know, sometimes Bitcoin's an intimidating space. There's a lot to it, but you, you're able to explain it in really simple terms. We're getting close to the end of the conversation where we're going to ask you three questions that we ask every guest, including your brother, Charlie. So we'll see how your answers match up with what he said. Awesome. But before we get there, uh, just quick question. So as you mentioned, late this year, likely going to see a bigger increase in the bull run. If there's some debate we if we're to. already in the bull run and that type of thing. Yeah, we hope to. What, what do you think, you know, we've talked about in some of the greater crypto industry, some of the trends, you've talked about the ICOs, you've talked about NFTs, last bull run. If you had to crystal ball gaze, what do you think could be a defining trend of this next bull run? 
Um, you're right that every bull run has a story, and that's why it becomes a bull run. There has to be a craze. Um, so the bull run in 13, uh, well, at least the bull run in 17 was fueled by the ICO craze, a lot of coins launching and stuff like that. Um, and um, every every bull run, there's a correction, a bear market, a lot of bad news, bad news. And it, 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 think about after 2021's bull market, hitting $69,000 Bitcoin, we had some really bad news come out. The, 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 uh, well, it was a Luna, Terra Luna, the USDT. We had the three era capital and we have FTX failure. We have Binance issues. And I don't think all the bad news is out yet. I think that's why it's going to take later this year to do it. Now, in terms of what is the story, right? At, at one point, it was all coins. Uh, at one point, it was um, uh, ICOs and we had NFTs. You could argue, you could argue uh, DeFi, by the way. DeFi was, we had the summer of DeFi and the subsequent bull market. Um, I actually don't know. So so I, I, don't, I don't think I can predict what is the story for the next bull run, but it's going to be something insane and, and it's going to be something controversial, mm. meaning there will be people, conservative people who will say, no, this is terrible, this is terrible. But yet the mass market will be like, all filled by it. And that's why there's a bull market because the mass people rush in, the mass market rush in. They rush in, you know, and, and that's what fills a bull market. And unfortunately, and, and uh, caution, here's a caution, okay? The bull market will make a lot of money for some people, but it, but a lot of people will lose money as well because of, ultimately when the bull market happens, the price goes up and then there'll be people coming in and buying these assets, whether it's Bitcoin or other coins, at these high prices and there'll be these bag holders at the top and then the market will crash ultimately and then there'll be bag holders for a few years. Um, but we all make these mistakes. It's just it's just a cyclical nature. It's no different than real estate stocks, right? So before real estate market crashed, there are people buying million dollar homes or paying for it and then and then it crashes and then they, they walk out, the banks lose money, they lose money. So it's, it's that's, that's again, the nature of humanity. Yeah. Bobby, as I mentioned, Alf and I like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions we ask every single guest. It's a segment we call You Had Me at Crypto. So Alf is going to ask you those questions. Okay. All right. You ready, Bobby? Yeah. All right. <laughs> now I will, I'll just preface this. I'll ask you the question and then I will tell you what your brother Charlie's answer was when we asked him when he was on our show uh, af after your answer. And we'll, after we'll my just answer. for comparison. Yeah, after my yeah. answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first question, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Who's my favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Gosh, that's a good one. Um... um who do I, f I, I, so maybe I just say I follow Charlie. I, uh, I, 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 I go, I do go to him for a lot of advice. He's, he's, uh, he's a really smart guy, has really, you know, really deep insights. And, uh, I do occasionally go to him privately for perspective on, on things. So he's, he's one of my fans that <laughs> he was, he was also the one who introduced me to crypto. That's, yeah. that's awesome and hilarious because I don't think any of our other guests have ever said this, but Charlie said, so he did say Udi, 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 Udi Vertheimer. Yeah. I'm probably saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. last name wrong. Yeah. 
But yeah. he also said himself. <laughs> he said himself. He got said the same answer. <laughs> so you guessed his guess. Oh, that's funny. Um, awesome. Well, the second question, what will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? Oh, 10 years from now. So that will be um, February of 2034. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll say boldly it will be uh, safely over a million dollars, probably in the three to five million dollar range. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Charlie's answer was 500 million to 1 million. No, 500,000 500, to 1 million. Okay. But that think, was in September 2021. So that again ramps up nicely with yours. Almost the same answer because that would have been true. 2031 en route to over a million, which is what you true, said. True. But he yeah. also said yeah. half a million for Litecoin. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't comment on Litecoin. Too many people <laughs> ask me about Litecoin. And I, I just, uh, I'll say differ. I'll defer to my brother. <laughs> All right. Go. Okay. The third and final question. What is the most underrated project in the crypto space? Underrated project. Other so, than ballet. Other than ballet. Um, You know, I, I'd probably say ballet, but it, the, the reason the reason I, I don't have any other better answer is because I, honestly, I, you know, aside from, um, how do I say this? So my my full-time focus in the crypto these days is ballet, right? This is this is my company. I think not, not a lot of crypto people come back for a second round in terms of uh, entrepreneurship. Not a lot of people do. Some people just, you know, retire into the sunset. Um, so I've decided to come back as a second round to really help the 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 crypto community, the new people that, that will come in to really give them, offer them a safe solution for storing coins. And this is, but by the way, this is the, the reason I, I had this problem 13 years ago. When I first learned about Bitcoin, I did not immediately go and spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars buying Bitcoin because I was too computer science. And I was like, you know, th there's no safe solution. The Bitcoin D program, the Bitcoin core program that ran on the computer, on the Windows and the Mac, the wallet file was not even encrypted at the time. It was a plain text file listing all your private keys. That's how unsafe it was, right? The malware those days would steal the file and just, just steal all your coins. So my point was I was late to the game to invest because I couldn't find, I didn't have a good solution until uh, 2013 and later. And and uh, ballet to me is the most, is the most amazing, pro uh, this is a self-touting, obviously a little bit uh, biased, but I think it's one of the most amazing projects and I'm really proud of this. I don't know where it's gonna go, but I hope a lot of people discover it. I hope a lot of people give it a chance and bring more people into crypto. I think this is the safest solution to bring the next 1 billion people into Bitcoin and crypto. As for if you don't allow for ballet, the, the issue is I don't, I honestly, I don't have a lot of bandwidth to keep track of all the other cryptos out there. I'm not, I'm not, um, some, some people go back and they just invest in a bunch of projects. And so I, I'm not that kind of person. So people ask me to visit, I generally say, no, I don't invest in their projects because I have my own thing going for me. Yeah. Well, so sorry for that answer. No, no, that, that and that's totally fair. Um, I'll tell you what Charlie said, though. Yeah. Charlie said uh, at the time, so remember this was a while back, but he did say Lightning Network to him was the most underrated project in crypto. Yeah, yeah. The the issue, I, 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 I hope Lightning can really get a foothold. 
But the issue with it is there's um, the fundamental issue with it is it has to be online. That it, it you know, you, it there's a there's an online component. You have to have this node running. It, it's that I think that's I think that's one of the Achilles heels for Lightning, unfortunately. Um, so I'm I'm still you know even for ballet we're thinking how can we get more lightning support built in, and it's it's one of the tough problems that I haven't cracked yet. Yeah, Bobby, this has been an awesome conversation. When Ulf and I launched this podcast back in December 2020, you were one of the people on kind of our wish list guest list that we had. So it's been an honor to chat with you. Thank you for joining Ulf and I on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Excellent. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.